Hi, listeners. Just wanted to give you a heads up before this episode. The movie we talk about today has some more extreme topics than other movies we've discussed. These topics include mental illness, dysfunctional families, violence, and depicted graphic violence. If any of these topics would be things you are not comfortable listening to, feel free to skip this one, listen to one of our other episodes, and we thank you for supporting. 28 days, 6 hours, 42 minutes, 12 seconds. That is when the world will end. Sometimes I doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. Hello, and welcome back to the Intermillennium Media Project. My name's Ian Porter. And I'm Matthew Porter. I'm his son, he's my dad, and this time I've taken over once again. And I've taken over to have us watch a movie. Once again, I have insisted we watch this movie. Because I've (laughs) insisted we watch this movie before. Yes, you have. And this movie is an interesting one, in part because the fact that I insisted we watch this movie is part of the story to me behind this movie. All right, I might need a diagram, but I think I understand that. Okay. The movie we're watching we watched this time was Donnie Darko. This this is this is a heavy one. And I was a little surprised when you said that this was going to be the next Millennial Strikes Back because I remember that we watched it, but I didn't know that it had that big a uh, that it made that big an impression on you that that it was that important a movie to you compared to other things that you've you've selected for this kind of episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> other times I've done things like throw veggie tails at us. I'm, I've got quite the odd assortment, I know. Oh, yeah. You know, the veggie tails with the, uh, with the commentary track and uh, the weekenders. These are things I absolutely knew had a, a big influence on you. But those are things you let me watch. <laughs> Donnie Darko is the instance where you said I shouldn't watch it, and I broke the rules. Okay. I, I yes, yes, audience. I'm actually going to take this opportunity to make right a lie and a deception from over a decade ago. Yeah, between that and the fact that we're almost two years into the podcast, I think the statute of limitations has run. Yeah, this is back in I think it's 2008 or 2009. And you've had this director's cut of Donnie Darko sitting on the shelf with our other movies for the longest time. And I'm just, I'm in high school. I'm just aware enough of some of these things to think, oh, that looks interesting. That looks cool. But when I asked you, the response was, no, I don't think you're ready for it. We'll watch that sometime when you're older. And when you first asked me about that, it was probably... A, a year or two earlier is my guess, and that Probably. you were maybe you were still in junior high, and you asked, and I said no, I I don't think so yet. Mm-hmm. And I knew that this was a movie that uh, my mom didn't like. It's not her thing. So this was like one of these the things my dad watches. Now I'm not even sure that your mom has seen the movie, but 
knows enough about it to know that it's not her kind of movie. And I, I don't think it's her kind of movie either. And she's very wise about figuring that out without, without judging a movie. Just, no, I've got other things I want to do. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. The fact that, but the fact that this was a just a your thing was actually part of the draw to me. Uh-huh. It was a way to connect with you. And I'd gotten a laptop semi-recently in high school as a Christmas gift from you. Oh, that's right. I went out to uh, to the uh, the Black Friday sale at Office Depot and got you the uh, the the special laptop deal they had. Absolutely. So late one night, I sneak down. I pull the black DVD case out of its white sleeve and I replace it with a GameCube game cartridge, a game box. And I sneak the DVD box back up to my room. You were going full Ocean's Eleven on this. I was going I had full no Ocean's idea. Eleven on it. It was out of that sleeve for a week. And you <laughs> never noticed because it still had something in it. Wow. A night later, I sit down on my bed. It's after midnight. I've waited to hear the door to your bedroom close, and I sit with my overheating Toshiba laptop in the dark with a blanket tossed over me to to block the light from my coming through under my door, and I decide to watch the movie I was told not to watch. You know, you're old enough now that I will admit this. At the time, I might not have approved. I would have been very disappointed, extremely disappointed at you doing this um over the fact that i had uh you had asked and i had said no and you hadn't asked again when you were older that being said if i had to describe the perfect way to watch darnie darko it would be in high school in the dark surreptitiously uh on an overheating laptop computer absolutely and i have admitted in on this podcast so many things that I watched when I was way too young, and I haven't even scratched the surface of things I watched and read when I was way too young. Yeah, I, there's not too much I can say against this. I would like to, in our little narrative story of me finally admitting this, smash cut to the next morning. <laughs> it is bleary-eyed in the morning, and I have not now slept. Because after watching this movie, that's not an option. <laughs> I am walking in to my chemistry class like a zombie. And my friend Tony is like, what's up with you? And I just tell him, I went and watched Donnie Darko last night. I've got ideas, but I need to have, like, some time before I can think again. <laughs> and he, my friend, who's used to me just rambling on about card games and, uh, like, webcomics I was reading and such, just gives me the the strongest side-long, like, or, like, what's with you look I've ever gotten in my life. I know he's my good friend because I was a mess that day, and he kept me from from falling over that's a good friend i appreciate that very much but of all the things to break the rules on this was simultaneously like i achieved the perfect environment for it but i also found the perfect way to tell myself nope don't do that listen (laughs) he was right you weren't ready it's perfect that you weren't ready on this of all things but he was right so i'd like to thank you and also tell you i did that (laughs) in some ways 
the impact this movie had is as a er example of the untouchable film of that esoteric like the film that you shouldn't watch outside of a specific age range or a time like once you understand it enough you could but it it it's this quintessential like you're not old enough yet for it movie in that sense because of it and i i find that so interesting to me because i think a lot of people have something like that in some form there's always that thing you did you weren't supposed to and the fact that this movie is that for me gave gives us a hopefully a chance to talk on that oh no question about it and you're right everybody's got that kind of thing mhm and um and that's you know a part of of growing up and that teaches you a lot about yourself about your environment about the people who are looking out for you so um yeah i think that is an important experience and it's it's very interesting to hear about this one <laughs> uh, the fact that this one did kick me like you know, i had that kickback to me of messing up my next day <laughs> and really bewildering me for a long while after i think was an influence to us having this podcast now because i then really wanted to watch that movie officially i was really interested in getting to sit down and watch it with you not because i didn't get something from it before i actually followed it more than i expected at the time but having done so without you knowing i'd seen it i couldn't talk with you about it oh so you wanted to kind of clear the the clear the slate by watching it together and then we could talk absolutely and i guess you, it was a few months later it wasn't it couldn't it have been might. that long after that that we were going on a trip or something and it came up so i i handbraked it to uh to my macbook and we we watched it together yeah, on a trip somewhere. Absolutely. I, I then pestered you about that movie after having seen it <laughs> like once a month until we went on a trip. And I think it was like that December. So we're talking a jump from August to December. It's not that long. Right. But we then watch it on a plane and I'm just excited, not because I finally get to see it, but because the floodgate of theorizing and intrigue <laughs> is open. I can talk with you about this. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. I had a lot of theories very quickly after <laughs> seeing that movie, and this might explain it. And interesting, you know, this is not an experience that I really had, because I had plenty of things that I, like I say, that I was too young for. They didn't tend to be something that my dad was already watching or reading, for the most part. Oh. They tended to be things that I found on my own. And that I, either beforehand or after the fact, knew, I don't know that mom or dad would approve of this, but I went ahead and watched it or read it anyway, and often had this kind of bewildering mental whiplash kind of experience, and then went back for more, because that was awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. But it was never the, um, yeah, I want to I wanna clear the slate so I can talk to my dad about it. There are plenty of things that I did read and watch and talk to him about, but not in the same kind of way. It's definitely interesting. The fact that we have a connection of similar interests here, let you be an arbiter of some of these <laughs> things. But the fact that you're, my grandparents weren't fans of the same media sets meant that you were a little bit more Wild West in exploration to find these things for yourself then, I guess. Right. The things that my dad loved, he tended to share with me and you know, his love of history, for example, and stuff from when he was a kid 
he got me turned on to the Edgar Rice Burroughs Mars books, the John Carter books. I loved those, and he recommended them to me at just the right age, and I was able to read them and talk to him about them. Oh, that's So it was awesome. a different kind of thing, but uh, and he, gu- he guided me well in that sense, apart from all this other weirdness that I found on my own. <laughs> We've talked about how odd the collection in my local library was when I was growing up, and that was a big influence there, too. Oh, absolutely. But I'm getting off off track from what you're talking about. The the parallel here of the fact that for your for you to your dad, it was from from what I know, it was jazz, uh, some jazz, re- not jazz records, but like he some record yeah. album stuff. Uh, right? Oh, um, uh, it was light opera and some big band type stuff. Uh, okay, big band. But then you went into but, this jazz. You went and found yeah, some jazz stuff. He didn't stuff, and there was quite there. get the jazz and blues that I that I tended to like, even though it was more from his generation than than mine. Mostly it was books and a few movies that my dad turned me on to that made a big difference. And I've, I'm here with my... Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. And Ernie Kovacs. Oh, well, that, yeah. that's, just, that's just followed along down the line, because <laughs> I'm a fan on that, too. For me, though, you're, you're my dad who had the How to Read Japanese books and the, the sets of, like, X-Files stuff and these odd, these weird, interesting movies, <laughs> and and my dad was a guy who would uh, who would fix up who would fix up computers and had a tarot card set, and I'm like, <laughs> my dad is a cool, weird guy. I want to know more about him, and that's led me into being the 3D printing side with from the computers side person, and I've found my love of trading card games and magic cards in part because i started looking at these things next to the tarot cards i thought my dad might like for christmas and it's kind of led me down a a tangent path again so i like that maybe uh unconsciously i was trying to replicate for you the experience i had in having a village library branch that had these weirdly focused collections of books on psychic phenomenon and ufos and conspiracies and horror and I'm, maybe I succeeded. Cool. Oh, absolutely. You you describe this as this weird collection, and I just think, well, that's Dad's library. <laughs> What's Dad talking about? That's his library. <laughs> I, I'm kind of glad we're getting to have a, a lighter trip down memory road here, though, because we're going to have to get into talking about this movie, and yes. we need this counterpoint, because this movie is dark. This movie is dark, but I wouldn't call it bitter. I think this movie has some hopeful notes to it, which is odd to say, but it's definitely a movie that has a a harsh world to it. It's it's dark mainly in its it has kind of a dark worldview. Mhm. And yet part of its point is seems to be that there is a a glimmer of hope and peace in this dark world view. And then it turns around and, oh, that what it takes as a glimmer of hope and peace is itself pretty dark. Yeah. Oh, I, we should probably give a, a spoiler warning here. Yeah. We are going to have to talk about plot elements. So if you haven't seen this movie, uh, I and recommend you're, and it. And you're old enough and allowed <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, there's no way to avoid talking about this movie's plot because it's a very odd plot. It's also kind of impossible to talk about this movie's plot, per se, because it is such an odd plot. 
in theory, the movie's actual, like, linear timeline ends at the end of the movie on its own. Yes. The entire start of the movie up till the finale doesn't happen. And that's that's the weird loop of this. Because Donnie Darko is about our main character, Donnie, who sleepwalks away from a terrible accident of a plane engine crashing into his bedroom. And being a kid already with a variety of a variety of cha- social challenges, it seems he's not in a stable place to begin with. Yeah, he is in therapy. He's on medication. He's been he was in jail briefly. He's but was left back. So he's a year older than most of his high school class. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, he's a troubled kid. He's definitely a troubled kid. He's not he's not a dumb kid. He's actually a very smart kid. They show this. Yeah, they make a point of the fact that he has these emotional issues and yet he is off the charts intelligent. Mm-hmm. He is picking up on information. He's doing all of his homework assignments when his other when his classmates brush it off. He's he's on top of things, but he has these issues and challenges that get in the way of some of the social environment he's in. Right. And he has he has very little patience and very little focus on what he doesn't care to focus on. Mm-hmm. But his his issues of sleepwalking have actually saved him in this case from what would have been a very painful way to go. But that doesn't help his situation because now it's brought a lot more attention on him and has strained some already tense family scenarios and and local community issues. And now Donnie is starting to see things on top of all of this. He starts seeing this bunny named Frank who's talking to him. A six-foot-tall, humanoid, creepy-looking bunny named Frank. Now, honestly, the Frank mask is like the iconic image of this movie, I think. And, and I've seen that pop up elsewhere as reference to this. That is some fantastically creepy design they do. But it's very minimal, actually. You only get these bits of him. You only get these small scenes. When they use their budget for effects and such, when they use their costumes and their their creepy elements, they do it carefully, I think. Because a lot more of this movie is filmed as standard panning shot suburbia st- sort of stuff, I think. Right, and you often enough get these you know, bright autumn days in upper middle class uh, suburbia, and then the, the story delves into what's dark about all of this. And you're right about the design in that the design for Frank, this iconic figure, this, this giant creepy looking bunny rabbit, initially you don't see much of Frank. You see him from more of a distance you see him in very, very dim lighting. You never see him in full lighting, but you see him, he's even darker at the beginning. And it is this very distinctive, creepy design. And Donnie sees Frank several times through the course of the movie to punctuate different uh, incidents. And the more you see Frank, the more you realize this is well and creepily conceived and kind of cheaply executed, this bunny costume. And it, then that winds up making more sense than you expect. It's not just the movie didn't have the budget. 
Absolutely. And the fact that they're able to pull that trick off is actually one of those brilliant things, especially because it actually feeds into how the entire movie feels for me. I really do think of Donnie Darko as a Cthulhu story or a Cthulhu mythos story. Really? Absolutely. Or at least the director's cut. And that's the thing. We've got to mention where you're watching the director's cut because that actually does change some things by adding in bits that are designed to explain in a movie that is originally known for being an unparsable, hard, massive confusion at first. Yes, and I first saw the movie in its original cut on DVD, but it was the original cut. And then I I heard an interview on NPR with Richard Kelly, the director, about the release of this director's cut years later. And um, I probably dropped some huge hints and got that for Christmas or for my birthday. And then watched that director's cut dozens of times. But there are things I think are better in the original cut and things I think are positive additions in the director's cut. We might have to go in and actually like discuss those differences, but I don't know if getting deep into that right now is going to be the best for our for our summary and discussion. Yeah, I think that would be a talk on its own. Maybe that will be something we will put up on the Patreon, uh, a bonus show discussing the differences between the original cut and the director's edition of Donnie Darko. That sounds perfect. The the reason I point out the director's cut for right now is that it gives these explanations and pages in this terminology flashes about what's going on. And there's very much like Donnie is someone who happened to wind up being receptive to some weird things going on to this little loop that happens to him and whatever the Frank he's talking to is, is not the Frank we learn about later. And so I keep on thinking of it as this something else is here either to close this loop or create this loop or it's having some sort of impact. It's picked Donnie because there's an opportunity here and Donnie's become this center point. And that's very Cthulhu, this outside entity taking something in the world and using it as a way to talk to the one person who can hear it in order to change stuff and affect this world yeah. It's not able to touch otherwise is very much that sort of tale. And so I found that very interesting as a a tragic story with this modern styling, but this grander Cthulhu kind of mythos tone. I think I kind of get that. It is the the incursion of the bigger, infinitely stranger world into the world we think we know that we think is ours. And this this consciousness, this entity that has, is impinging on our world, sees and knows more than we do. Mm-hmm. And we see that in here because Donnie is, through Frank, Donnie is being instructed, maybe compelled, to take these strange actions, which turn out to be parts of this big, complicated Rube Goldberg machine of causality. And... If something is instructing Donnie in this, it must be because it sees more than we can possibly see across space and across time. Absolutely. Donnie has almost two modes during all of his time in this story. 
There is standard Donnie, who lives his everyday life, who's this good student, who's well getting some straight he's he's, he's got- a smart student i don't think by he would be a, called a good student by by very many measures good point depends on the how the teacher and we see a few different approaches to education in this absolutely that is a very valid point he is a smart student dealing with his issues and is getting all the stress and strain of what is happening put upon his normal life donnie the normal person is the one who starts breaking down there, the other Donnie is the one where every time he's told to do something by Frank, he hunches more, and he has this smile, and he's full of a lot more pointed questions that don't sound happy. But that Donnie is almost a reluctant anti-hero character to the rest of his little world, because he's there performing these actions in this Rube Goldberg machine, performing things that are stronger and more forceful than he's supposed than. His his ability should allow, like, planting a, an axe into a solid metal statue and things like that. Yeah, the things that Donnie is doing, they they many of them are violent, but not violent against people. Mm-hmm. Violent, violent against property in very specific ways. Right. He, he lights a place on fire, but walks out unscathed of the fire. And he does so when no one is on the premises. No one gets hurt. Absolutely. So it's this weird, like... There is a Donnie who is the one being told to do these things is not in some ways the same Donnie living out the rest of the life. He's forced to become this other thing, Jekyll and Heidi. But if and not quite, there's some parallels there, I think. Oh, absolutely. But that that whole story and in in the fact that all the things this darker Donnie does affect Donnie Darko's life in that way. And Jake Gyllenhaal uh, playing Donnie does an amazing job with this. Oh, absolutely. Because he does change into this other kind of person when Frank shows up and he has to have these conversations with Frank and then he then has to go do what Frank tells him to do. And yet it's still Donnie. It's not like it's night and day. He's possessed by some other person. It's Donnie, but it's Donnie who now has something he can and must focus on. And he's almost a little bit drunk. He's almost a little bit infantilized. And yet he's asking questions like a kid would and puzzling over the answers like like a, a little kid would. And yet he's not giving up his agency. He's just feeling like he must do what he's being instructed to do. It's There's a lot going on. It's hard to summarize, but... The fact that he can show these changes without it just being a simple night and day, now he's this guy, now he's that guy, is a big part of what makes this work. It, it, going to that Cthulhu mythos style, for a person who seems to have some some issues with empathy, some issues with communication filter, some issues with a bit of his self-control impulses, the madness of proximity is a thing he's used to fighting. So I don't... It, the, being, the, the madness of proximity or the proximity of madness? I am. I, the, 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 whatever it is that Frank does near him, that focus you're describing him having, it's like Donnie's used to fighting through to say something during that. And Frank almost seems like 
caught off guard every once in a while by a question. Like, whatever, whatever the Frank is, is not used to someone being able to ask something back like that. And he finds that interesting. And yet Frank always has an answer. Why are you wearing that stupid bunny suit? got an answer but it took he, he, like I, th- there's almost this like wow he really did ask me something well then and in terms of the aspect of donnie that we see when he is meeting with frank mm-hmm. there's another time we see that side of donnie when he's under hypnosis Good with point. his therapist yeah not exactly the same but very similar and i think that hints that there's some it's something akin to a hypnotic state that Donnie is in during these episodes where he sees Frank and has to take these actions. That would make a lot of sense. And, and Jake Gyllenhaal is doing an amazing job in all of this. I gotta say, he's one of those actors who is... I've never seen him and not, th- not thought, oh, it's Jake Gyllenhaal. But he is really good at portraying whatever the character he has to is portraying. For me, because the first thing I ever saw him in was Donnie Darko so many years before, there's a little bit that always makes me think, oh, what's Donnie Darko playing these days? Oh, look, (laughs) Donnie Darko's Mysterio. (laughs) They should probably keep an eye on him. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Then there's the the other people in the town, though, are in some ways the, the more colorful cast of characters than Donnie. Because, my goodness, this town is full of weird people. It definitely is, and... That gives the movie a sense of reality in that Donnie is not just in a vacuum. And it gives you enough to wonder about the origins of Donnie's problems. In this this apparently very well-off upper-middle-class family he's being raised in, it is not a very well-functioning family. Mm -mm. And it really does make you wonder to what extent are Donnie's emotional issues a reaction to this to what extent is some of the family dysfunction because they're dealing with a son who uh, um, who is dealing with these emotional issues? What are the causes and effects? But at any rate, it's clear that Donnie's issues and his response to them is not just happening on his own in a vacuum. The fact is Donnie's family is a dysfunctional mess that is not healthy, but they do show that the family cares for each other. They're just all bad at it yes they they care they don't they don't know how to and maybe donnie is disturbed because he recognizes the problems and everybody else is ignoring them by either joking and being away from home uh or drinking a lot of wine Mm -hmm. every one-on-one anybody in the darko family gets turns heartfelt and shows that they care about each other back and forth except for the mom and to the dad that one almost doesn't. Well, I think there. I don't know about D- Mom and and Donnie either. They it gets better strangely through it, but the first real one on one exchange between Donnie and his mom is horrible. It is horrible. The mom seems concerned for Donnie. Is where my point is in that she's awful at that, but I do think she seems concerned in that about him. And that's maybe the least concerned with anybody else that we ever see Donnie. Right. So there is an issue with that, but there is at least a, I'm worried about you, which is something it's badly in there. 
da- Donnie with his dad attempts at uh, a, a heartfelt moment and kind of gets somewhere, but is in some ways hampered by the the dad's issues in that sense and his nervousness and problems. Yeah, the dad's style of avoidance is to act like he knows everything and make everything a joke. Mm-hmm. Which Donnie almost relates to, but then doesn't help Donnie. Donnie and his little sister throw some harsh words back and forth to each other. <laughs> But they also check in on each other and make sure the other one's okay. And Donnie and his his older sister are relating to each other in a I acknowledge you. And when she's chatting on the phone, she's talking up about the, the thing her brother was able to do and the cool stuff he got. And it's a, like a friendly, this is cool for you, a little bit jealousy, but it seems friendly in some ways. Sort of. There sort again, of. There, there are really, really high friction moments mm-hmm. and yet in and of themselves i wouldn't say this is a, a sign of a really really horrible relationship it's just like whoa this is these are are young people who have not been taught to express their feelings very well or effectively or compassionately exactly and donnie you mentioned him with his younger sister i would almost it's almost the kind of relationship i would expect if they were closer in age because his younger sister is much younger mm-hmm. it's like donnie devolves six or seven years in maturity to insult his sister. And it's, in some ways, to me, that's an example of Donnie's emotional regression, the fact that he is not as emotionally mature as he is intellectually mature. Absolutely. So all of it is like, that's that's almost the best microcosm of the whole story, though, in terms of this. The family as a whole is dysfunctional and in some ways, dangerous to all parties in how it is progressing. But there's a tiny glimmer of hope on each of the threads in between them, that there is some care and concern for the other people that could be expressed better and actually have positive outcomes if everything else didn't get in the way. And that's where it's like, the family becomes this little example, and then the town becomes this larger example of this same idea. And the fact that the family gets better at being a family and caring about one another and expressing that throughout the movie mm-hmm. is is interesting to watch, given the fact that at, through these increasingly weird and terrible events, they come closer together and get better at being a family. And the town, we see splintering and falling apart during this same time. Now, to some extent, I think we're just being shown how fragile and how weird and superficial this town has always been, but we see it crumbling at the same time we see the family coming together more. And we kind of saw the family crumble a little in the strain of everything that has happened with a plane crashing at their house and all the attention and everything going on. We see them break a little earlier, and then start to come together, which means that if we're seeing the town break, this implies a pattern that would be repeated. The town oh. could come together better. And at the end, it implies the world is like that. And we start seeing the world might break, which means oh. the world could get back together. It I becomes like this rushing ne- Russian nesting doll of, it's all horrible, but there's hope. The family breaks and heals stronger. The town breaks and heals stronger. The world may also break and heal stronger. Exactly. So that's why it's like, this is a 
dark, painful movie <laughs> full of awful people dealing with awful situations made by each other for awful outcomes. But it's hopeful? And I don't know what to think then, because when you leave, you're just kind of going, uh, uh? <laughs> but the, the town and the school is its own kind of mess because the, the town is actually slowly being infected by, I think, the true villain of this entire story. The cult of this life guru guy. Oh, Patrick, the Patrick Swayze character, Patrick Swayze character, Jim Cunningham just becomes this invasive, creeping horror. Perfectly played as the inoffensive, white-bred, peace-and-love, but-you've-got-to-go-out-and-get-it kind of, as you say, life coach, guru, self-help entrepreneur, with, with his book, Attitudinal Beliefs. Like, the, <laughs> you could really work very hard and not come up with a more generic and yet somehow real-seeming title for a self-help book like that than uh, Attitudinal Beliefs. Absolutely. And they we, we get bits of the, like, the video package that goes with this, and it is all... It is all repression and ignoring, the, ignoring your issues. Positive thinking to no end. It is... It is all avoidance instead of confrontation, but pretending to to be deep and meaningful. All over America, people have come together to join hands. People who believe that human life is absolutely too important, too valuable, and too precious to be controlled by fear. Pay close attention. You could miss something. Hello. My name is Jim Cunningham, and welcome to Controlling Fear. And it very clearly, thanks to the Rube Goldberg machine, points out by the end just how awful Jim Cunningham actually is. Yeah. I don't want to get into the what there, because that's the probably the darkest part of the entire narrative. But yeah, it turns out he was an utterly horrendous person, and yet he's been pushing this idea that distills all the complexities of life to a spectrum, a single line between fear and love. And as long as you choose fear, your life will be terrible. If you choose love, your life will be perfect. And it's that simple. And that's, that's always the, um, the, the first sign that, that somebody's horrible is the fact that they try to insist that you simplify your life in that way and as if things are that simple. <laughs> and the insistence that... That you can look past the surface and see the person inside of you. And meanwhile, it's like the man is nothing but surface and the person inside of him is more horrifying than yeah. anything else in the entire narrative is very telling. Yep. But, and that kind of fits with this whole Cthulhu mythos of like, meet our horrifying bunny man. Here's here. He's here to stop the real monster, which is actual man. It's like, okay. <laughs> Yes. That's a whole thing. But, I mean, it is it is turning into an... The town is being taken over by an, a legit cult in that sense. The school is a an image and icon obsessed group with a... Then I couldn't tell. I thought, the, I thought the science and the English teachers were new. But maybe they weren't. 
I expect that they were new. I mean, it, they um, we come to this early in the school year. Mm-hmm. The, the, the movie begins in early October and ends at Halloween. So I think they might have been new in that school year, now that you mentioned that. And we have Noah Wiley as the science teacher and Drew Barrymore as the English teacher. And they're the, the youngest teachers in this school by far, and they're, they're kind of, they're, they're dedicated and they're progressive in their, their teaching and caring about the kids compared to the rest of the school. They, they almost become observers of the collapse in some ways. Because they're the ones kind of like seeing how the school is way more focused on its image with its young kid dance group sparkle motion getting uh, <laughs> national attention and how its sports teams and such and rivalries are doing compared to the, helping the students or caring about what's happening with them. And these teachers, they, they, they give me a Scully and Mulder vibe as a pair. Yeah, sort of the uh, Drew Barrymore as the English teacher clearly recognizes Donnie's intelligence and his gift for writing and challenges him in ways that that I think are good for him and that he recognizes and he relates to her. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, the science teacher, he trusts enough to be the person he goes to for information about what's going on in the world here. And the science teacher is able to provide some of that information some of the very key information, unexpected information, eventually gets to a point where he says, I can't continue this conversation. I might lose my job. But even before he gets to that point, they're kind of uh, off the rails in terms of what you would expect a high school science teacher to be talking to a uh, an inquisitive student about. The fact that in that entire little moment that you mentioned there, Donnie doesn't respond well at first to the I can't keep continuing this conversation. But when given an explanation of I might lose my job, pauses. Donnie was, I don't, that's a brilliantly acted scene because it's a person setting a boundary and realizing a thing backing away. And another person used to being told boundaries, but not used to being told reasons, responding to being given a reason with a nod for once. He's like, oh, it's not, I can't keep this, can't continue this conversation because I said so. It's not. I can't continue this conversation because it's not good for you. And I'm the judge of what's good for you. It's I can't continue this conversation. I could lose my job. And Donnie accepts that from, for the honesty and the, the fact that that honesty suggests a certain um, equality between them. The, the fact that his science teacher is better at setting proper boundaries and acknowledgements than his psychiatrist is a <laughs> huge red flag. Yes. My Ca- goodness, his his psychiatrist does not do a good job with him. She t- she tries, but yeah. Granted, he is a tough case, a especially tough case. in the context of this movie. Yeah, I don't know that anybody would be prepared to deal with that. But yeah, this is a, a therapist who has who goes in with particular expectations, and then it turns out her expectations are all wrong. Uh, it's very well played by Catherine Ross. It's oh, a yeah. good uh, supporting role by her. Catherine Ross is almost the only other person who gets to have a breakdown moment in the same way, because she kind of almost falls into one of his episodes by the <laughs> end and like is fueling his questions. But she turns like equally manic in a weird way. That's, where, she- that's where I'm like being near the Frank concept starts doing stuff to people because Donnie starts embodying Frank too much there, and she starts turning into what Donnie had been there for just a second. And because she's the only person who knows as much 
about Frank and about what Frank has said, because partly under hypnosis, partly not, Donnie is telling her this. She starts to believe it and starts to understand what's going on. Yeah. She she becomes a a follower of what's happening <laughs> in the strangest way. And then of course our our final of the main other characters in the environment would probably be Donnie's girlfriend during all of this. Yep. He meets her again early October, beginning of the movie. And they are both kind of not a good fit for where they are and so they sort of find one another right away mm-hmm. and become close yeah gretchen is new and she is like well in part because the english teacher pushes this concept but gretchen like just magnetizes to him and how healthy that is is questioned a little but in the end they do kind of balance each other a little and we see her at least once like rein him in just a touch or calm him down just a little. We also see him get riled up because she's there, but there's a, there's a balancing act here. They are able to be honest with one another in ways that neither of them is really able to be honest with anybody else. Mm-hmm. Maybe the exception of Donnie and his therapist. And I think that is a big part of it. I mean, they're attracted to one another, but once they start talking, there is a level of honesty and trust that I don't know where it comes from. In some ways, it might be a little unrealistic, but it is that honesty and trust that cements the relationship so early and makes it as strong as it is through the movie. And Gretchen's fate is an odd thing in this movie to discuss because she is simultaneously our ending protagonist and our... Our, our tragic motivating death? On the one hand, part of what is at stake in this movie is, as far as Donnie understands it, the existence of the world. Mm-hmm. But towards the end, what's at stake is Gretchen. Yeah. And she sort of becomes a symbol of, will the world continue? Is Will Gretchen be safe? And the the movie is in we we've we've danced around it, but I'm just going to to spell out this portion. The movie is in fact itself a loop. It starts out with Donnie avoiding this tragedy, and it ends with him having fulfilled a sequence of events and returning to the place where everything happened at a predestined time in order for time to snap back to when it had been. And for him to fall victim to that tragedy. Yeah, there was apparently a naturally occurring space-time portal, which, ca- which, which meant that a cause on October 31st had an effect weeks earlier. And the, the, the movie takes place during the time between that effect and the cause and is about trying to reconcile those so this pocket universe that's been created can give way and the quote-unquote real universe can continue. And at the very end, Donnie has shattered the community by revealing things and disrupting systems that were in place. Donnie has had a major impact on a variety of people's lives, 
and everything gets reset, but everyone, we see this little montage of everyone remembering just a little of what's going on, and this little hint that they all kind of have this hazy recollection or this hazy feeling remaining, this this remnant of what happened. Like this month that they spent in the pocket universe is a dream that they don't remember, but which has had an emotional impact on them. And so all you can hope is that any of the negative things that were fixed or any of the problems that need to be addressed that were revealed during things get resolved later. Because none of the actions we see happen during the movie actually are resolved when the movie continues. Because the movie the movie ends back in the time at the beginning. When right. the when yeah. the plane hit. It 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 doesn't it doesn't fix it by sliding everything over to August, to October thirty first. It slides with a thing that should have happened up to when it actually affected Donnie. It's a reset to the what what we saw as the beginning of the movie. And that's where it's like that that whole like you gotta kind of think this movie is trying to be hopeful because it's saying everyone remembers it shows the impact so you can hope that. It had a positive impact on his world, but you can't be sure. All you know is that Donnie, at the end, was acknowledging of this and realized he wasn't going to be around to see everything and accepts that. And we never see Donnie as happy as we do at that point, Mm -hmm. at the end slash beginning. Which is its own little terrifying moment, but I guess hopeful. I would, yeah, I almost... I, I I resist calling it hopeful, but I can't really deny that it is hopeful. I, I, I completely understand why you'd resist calling it hopeful. This is a dark song, and that hopeful moment is punctuated by... Oh, uh, Mad World. Mad World. Well, that's a, that's a bit of media impact for you, because I'd, I'd heard Mad World playing when this movie first came out, and I didn't even realize it went popular again because of this in some ways. Yeah, and this was a new cover of Mad World by uh, Michael Andrews and Gary Jules, a very stripped down, even more somber version of Mad World for the movie. Extremely, extremely powerful. Extremely powerful. With some... You know, very creepy lyrics that this song has, it nevertheless fits this movie better than anything else might and better than this song would probably fit anything else. Yeah. Creeping, creepy lilting lyrics with a slightly music box tone at times very much fits this movie's tone. <laughs> so this is definitely one of those movies that... I think we're going to be talking more about, uh, apart from this podcast, unless we want to turn this into a, a six-hour episode or a, a spin-off series of its own. Oh, we could. I can, I, can, I can give you an entire hour about how this movie hits really, really differently between having not seen Altered States or having seen Altered States. Oh, yeah. My goodness. I can, go, I can give you a rant about that because there's some, there's some crossover in that pocket universe on its own i can see that i can see that definitely but we probably do have to to rein ourselves in and finally get to our our usual topics of of summary at the end we probably do i just i do want to mention i wish i had a copy of the philosophy of time travel i do book within the movie i think of this movie kind of as pseudoscience fiction it's science fiction but the 
the science that it's about is really wild. Lots of oddly, oddly, arbitrarily detailed pseudoscience cosmology. Like, why these details? I know you're very adamant about them, but they don't make that much intuitive sense. And yet, yeah, everything's following them. So I wish I had a copy of that book instead of just the snippets we get. Yeah, I think there's PDFs available of those pages, but there's no other pages than those. (laughs) But you're right. I think it is time. We have to answer some questions, don't we? Yep. So this one's a weird, this one's a hard one to say. Uh, Well, actually, first, is this a a screen or no screen movie? What do you think? Oh, it is a screen movie. I think it is. Yeah. If, the, if, if you are in the mode for this, if you are in the mindset to be able to get into this, this is a screen. I think. Yeah. I mean, uh, and I, I watched this movie. I, I watched it once or twice when I had the, uh, I borrowed the original cut DVD. And then I got this uh, director's edition DVD. And we were visiting uh, your mom's parents in Connecticut. I think so. And I. It was Christmas time, and I got a terrible, terrible cold or flu or something. So I wasn't able to do a whole lot during that trip. So I spent a lot of that trip sitting with my laptop bundled up watching (laughs) this movie and watched it probably three or four times over the course of that Christmas week. Are are we we just calling uh, watching anything on your laptop wrapped up in a blanket in the dark, like a... Darko mode in yeah. terms of viewing. Like, <laughs> yes, that is that is your if your laptop's in darko mode, that means you're bundled up, it's dark, and you're watching a really creepy movie. Exactly. I, I can go for this. So yeah, I, I and and I've still, even after that, I have watched it many times since then. I'm eager to watch it again now that we watched it last night. Yeah. It, it is a movie that you'll want to watch it a couple of times when you do screen it, because you can get different bits each time. It's a dense movie. It's a chewy movie in that sense. Even if you're not a person who's a fan of this sort of tone or such, this is just a really well shot movie. It's a very well acted movie. It is, it's got some great scenes in there and some interesting pans and such that I think should be looked at. So I I think this is, this is definitely a a good movie in that sense. And Richard Kelly he is not an extremely prolific director. He has not made a lot of movies over the last 20 years. Uh, so I think that's part of it. He is a very careful director. Unlike, say, John Carpenter, who is just somebody who can never not be making a movie. Richard Kelly makes a movie when he has a movie he must make. And Donnie Darko is clearly a movie this guy had to make. But are other questions harder to deal with in this, which is, Revive, reboot, or rest in peace. And this is where I also do have to acknowledge something I know of and I have intentionally never touched, which is that this movie does have a sequel. It does? Yes. Was anybody who was involved in the original, except maybe for one of the producers, involved in the sequel? I.e., was this in any way an artistically sensible sequel, or was it a money grab? I'm pretty sure it's the second. Released in 2009, S. Darko follows a grown-up copy of of Donnie's little sister going through her own weird interaction with a similar set of events and is apparently an absolutely missing-the-point 
combination of rehash and uh over budget oh gosh that sounds awful yeah i don't it, it sounds like maybe it was somebody had a horrible script for a movie and some producer said we can change a few names around and call it a sequel to donnie darko i almost think that would be better than someone trying to write a sequel to donnie darko and turning out that yeah so this is all about his his sister samantha grown up and creepy yeah. Oh, man. And it, it, the fact that this was released around the time that I then watched the movie that first time says something about the the cult status of this film finally having hit a peak in such that it looked like an idea someone wanted to go for. But going from a movie with an 87 on Rotten Tomatoes to a movie that runs a 13 on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> tells you the drop. Yeah. Yeah, this is not uh that that is not a necessary sequel. I think we can safely ignore its existence. Yeah. So, if we were to ignore the fact that this has been tried and failed, what are your thoughts on Further Darko? Rest in peace. I I don't see certainly now it's 20 years but only 20 years or approximately 20 years since this came out. I do not think there is anything to be improved by remaking this movie. I think that Richard Kelly had this movie to make, had these ideas, had this way of presenting a picture of, of, of this world, and he did so. And I think he did so very well. Not perfectly, you can find faults with it, but did it extremely well. And it is a movie that is worth watching, and like I say, I've watched it many times. So I don't really need to see someone else try to remake Richard Kelly's Donnie Darko. And the fact that the movie is, by its definition, by its everything about it, within and without its world of its story, is a loop, is a self-contained thing. I, I do not need, want, or find myself readily able to understand the idea of a revival in terms of a prequel or a sequel or a side story or something else that takes place in the canonical world of Donnie Darko. I, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. This is a movie that is kind and rewinds itself in that sense. You don't <laughs> need to go back your back on your own. So I think it's a rest in peace. Now I would, I will cheer a little if you have a proper reference to a Frank mask in the background, or if you've got someone suggesting like necessary reading materials and including the book from the, from this movie as one of the the volumes you need to check for a different sci-fi story. If you want to tangentially suggest that Donnie Darko is happening or happened somewhere else in something, I'm a little okay with that. Oh, but yeah. it's not a it's not a look at us, we're in the Donnie Darko verse. It has to be a and if you were to stand on top of a mountain and look far that way, you might see a glimpse of an airplane engine. It's kind <laughs> of like the most I want. Yeah, I mean this is a it's an important movie. I think it's an influential movie, and therefore it's going to have influence. So it's gonna have conceptual influences and stylistic influences, and people are gonna to want to tip their hat to it. So we're gonna see references to a philosophy of time travel. We're gonna see references to to various things but and as much as i can enjoy going down you know tommy westfall universe rabbit trails i wouldn't take any of those hat tips to donnie darko as being a suggestion that this takes place in the same universe as donnie darko it's just 
yeah, I liked Donnie Darko too, so I dropped this into my movie. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I'm I'm totally happy to see any kind of uh, uh, references of that sort. Well, I think that wraps it up for today, though. I think so. This I think is so. A fun and illuminating and and soul revealing little section. One more question I have to ask. Yes. Have we ever shown you the movie Harvey? No. We need to show you Harvey. Given context, I am now slightly terrified. No, you shouldn't be terrified, but okay. you will be interested in. So yeah, in, in some upcoming uh, episode of the podcast, we will talk about Harvey. Okay. Uh, I don't know how to continue from this point. This is un- <laughs> unexpected, but interesting. So yeah, sorry to put you off on that, but yeah, um, we we were kind of kind of closing up. I think uh, I think we're ready to wrap. Oh, absolutely. And uh, where can they find you online? Oh, uh, you can find me at the website uh, matthewfporter dot com. You can also find me on Twitter at by Matthew Porter. You can also find me these days on Twitch uh, as by Matthew Porter, especially if you're up in the the wee hours of a Saturday and like streams of. Uh, usually mobile iOS games these days. And you can find me on Twitter as item crafting on Twitch as item crafting live and on YouTube as item crafting. You can find the podcast at immproject.com or on Twitter as immpcast. We'd love to hear from you. You can find links on our website to our discord, to our Patreon, where we post other things like that potential Donnie Darko director's cut versus original discussion. Recently on the Patreon, uh, we posted a discussion that I offered about the novel, The Thin Man, and how it differs from the the movie that we talked about a few episodes ago. Feel free to reach out, send us an email, and check out our shop. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, What movie did you watch that you weren't supposed to? (laughs) Things like that. Yeah, what movie did you watch on your your laptop undercover in Darko mode (laughs) after your dad told you, no, don't watch that yet? Did it mess up your your chem class like it did mine? (laughs) But thanks for downloading. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll be back in two weeks, where Dad will probably have wrested control once again, and we'll be watching more media from the 20th century. So in the meantime, go find something old to watch.